You know, trauma in life can be a devastating experience. Over the course of the 20th century, for example, with its dark history of world wars, skirmishes, and infighting, we discovered that thousands of men returning from the front lines carried trauma called PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. They deserve our prayers and our support. I once attended a day-long conference called Trauma-Informed Care that sought to help children who had experienced violent trauma and other abuse at home. And because there is so much trauma, we're even having a conference next week, April 22nd, at Our Lady of Mount Carmel about a therapy called EMDR that stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, a psychotherapy treatment that is designed to, again, alleviate the distress associated with traumatic memories, because it seems like more and more people are suffering. Grief, after a traumatic death, brings it on a multitude of experiences and responses. It's not uncommon that someone will come to my office a few weeks after a funeral and say, Father, I saw Dad after his funeral standing at the foot of the bed. He told me everything was going to be okay. You know, it's kind of hard for me to respond in my office in the lower level. I mean, what do I know? Maybe it's true. Maybe not. But most times, I have to admit, I doubt. It's only logical to doubt the delusions, uh, delusional thoughts of a poor, grieving soul willing to see a loved one and return life back to normal. Perhaps Thomas seems ahead of his time when he doubts the stories after he returns to the upper room. The scriptures don't chronicle the reason for his break from the intensity of that upper room. Maybe a walk to get some fresh air, maybe a trip to the market to retrieve needed supplies. Maybe he was scouting out the response of those who put Jesus to death. Would they be next? After all... Thomas had been brave when earlier in Jesus' ministry he faced violence and arrest. It was Thomas who said in John chapter 11, let us also go that we may die with him. So when he returns to the upper room facing stories about the risen Lord, embracing the perspective of the natural world, Thomas made the difficult decision to be the adult in the room, as we say. Come on, guys, you're dreaming. He jogged their memories about Good Friday, talking about the wounds in Jesus' feet, hands, and side. He then reaffirmed his commitment to disbelief until at which time he experienced Jesus himself, which was not likely. No, based on my own experience, I really can't blame Thomas who has been called the doubter for centuries. But still, there was a problem with this story. I mean, if you were a detective, you would notice something. I mean, maybe one or two of the guys might have a dose of reality, might need a dose of reality, but all ten of them sharing the same story, sticking to that story with all of its powerful details, and this seeming fabrication had some staying power. For a solid week, he faced the odd rejoicing over this vision or whatever it was. They told, story, they told the story over and over, and it must have been frustrating for poor Thomas. 
Then came the story from the two on the road to Emmaus, who supposedly had seen the Lord, along with the accounts of the two Marys who had gone to the tomb on the first day of the week and found it empty. Turning to leave, they saw Jesus, who at at first they thought was a gardener, until he called them by name. And although he was supposedly real, they could touch him. What was Thomas to make of it all? Was there something supernatural going on? It seemed more logical that the father would have intervened on Good Friday to save his son from the humiliating death on the cross than on Easter Sunday morning. It was all very confusing. And now what were they to do? And those first days, following the death and burial of Jesus, the apostles were left adrift. So much trauma, so much uncertainty. And who can blame them? After all, the one who had been their focus and point of reference through the years of his ministry and mission and service was gone. And God had gone quiet, no longer speaking to them or guiding them. How could they make sense of everything that had happened to Jesus of Nazareth, their friend, their Messiah and Lord, and everything that had happened to the apostles. And although Thomas did not initially believe in the resurrection of the Lord, he did remain faithful to a call that he had received from Jesus, the call to be a part of the community of the apostles. While he doubts, while he doubts would not, while his doubts would not allow him to believe that they had seen the Lord, Thomas never lost faith in the fraternity, and it was ultimately in and through that fraternity and community that Thomas finally encounters the risen Christ. You know, when you see a painting of St. Thomas the Apostle, he's almost always depicted touching the wound of Christ's side. But in fact, as we just heard, the gospel doesn't really record him doing this. Jesus shows Thomas his hands, his side, and his feet, and invites him to put his finger into them. But according to scripture, Thomas never took him up on that awkward offer. What he did instead was to make the extraordinarily powerful profession of faith with the words, my Lord and my God. A declaration that many repeat during the consecration at Mass, indicating the conviction that the bread and wine are no longer there, now the body and blood of the risen Christ. Again, when Thomas missed that first apostolic encounter with the risen Christ, no matter what the other apostles said, he refused to believe. This is because faith doesn't come from relying on what anyone else tells us. I mean, sure, the lives of the saints are inspiring. They draw us closer. But faith is a gift from God. And it principally comes with our own encounter with the Lord. In Thomas's case, it was encounter with Jesus in the upper room. In the case of St. Paul, it was his encounter with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. Mother Teresa encountered Christ in the poor. St. John of the Cross came to the Lord through suffering. St. Therese of the Sioux found Jesus in deep contemplative prayer. Some find Jesus in the midst of nature or, or great works of art. Still others meet Jesus in adoration. And even though, even through some, 
trauma shakes up their lives and redirects them to God. God comes to us in a way that we can ultimately hear him. But in every case, faith comes through a unique encounter with the Lord. And this happens to us on life's journey that removes the scales from our eyes in order to help us to see the hand of God at work in our lives. And sometimes that encounter is imposed on us, something from the outside, some moment of suffering or trauma. And sometimes we invite it into our lives through a retreat. Our call is to be open to that encounter and invite the Lord into our hearts. Ephatha is an Aramaic word meaning be opened, uttered by Jesus when he healed a man who was deaf and dumb. We repeat that during the celebration of baptisms. Too often today, we are not open. We are hardened and closed by the difficulties and traumas of this world. So on the second Sunday of Easter, let us pray that as we cling to the fraternity of the church in the modern world, that we'll be open when God calls us and when he simply calls us to grow more deeply in love with his son, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And let us pray then with Thomas and his wonderful proclamation, my Lord and my God.